0: Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.
1: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com.
2: That's the second time he's done off. They never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those
3: guys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you?
2: Yes. Good mm. luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever.
4: Thanks very much for having a listen to Second Captains at the Irish Times, show number one this Monday. And by this time next week, we'll hopefully be sitting here discussing Ireland's second-ever Six Nations title. Today we discuss a wonderful, but frankly a rather weird occasion at the Aviva Stadium on Saturday. I've been I've been struggling to sleep at night.
0: Oh, oh no.
4: Uh, personal issues aside, but I've been struggling to <laughs> sleep at night with images of that massive Brian O'Driscoll whatever it was, Mm. hovering towards... I I was lucky enough to be at the game, sitting in the press section. So I'm watching Brian O'Driscoll, not being able to hear him with all the cheering going on. But suddenly, I don't know how early TV picked this up, suddenly seeing this massive
0: 40-foot blimp-controlled... And if you're... um, Sorry, just for a moment. In your dreams, is it the Brian O'Driscoll banner or is there a 40-foot Owen McDevitt banner kind of following you around in your daily life? No, it's all... uh, that's I'm going to dream of that tonight now. But no, up to now it's just been the <laughs> just Brian Driscoll following the, you around. Yeah, Brian Driscoll, forty fight. foot batter form. Mm. I mean, I, I, it's it's I can see why you'd be a little concerned, but it's not the scariest thing I've ever heard. You know, it. I actually thought it looked quite nice. You know, I, I don't. You know were there, in person though. It was really big.
4: Yeah. It was even TV did not do justice to the size and scale of. Okay. Did you enjoy the occasion? Again? I missed it actually.
2: I was oh. at a, I was at a um,
4: the one man who didn't know anything about Brian O'Driscoll this week. I was at a
2: coaching workshop in Kulak.
0: So for work, for, it was a football coaching workshop. I mean, yes, it wasn't so life coaching or anything. I
2: I, I looked at uh, Twitter a couple of times, and I could see there was this sort of uh, mania going on, uh, people weeping and, um, <laughs> really and paying tri- paying paying tearful tribute to uh, to Brian O'Driscoll. So I I felt, oh, you know,
0: yeah, there was a lot of tweets along the lines of. Uh, must be something in my eye. hashtag Bard hashtag Legend hashtag We'll never
2: see the like again. This mass outpouring of uh, gratitude, you know, this sort of yeah. thank you, thank you, and uh, yeah, it was. It it seemed. Uh, it seemed like a lovely occasion. Well, yeah. you
4: see, it was. It, it was nice that no matter what happens next week, at least Brian O'Driscoll will have.
0: Yeah, we've kind of. Pr- you know, we
4: kind we'll of have this in his
0: locker. So still there's a nice memory from the final season. Exactly, you know, because if, if you look back to it. The year starts with well, I mean, the last year ended with the Lions. Uh, Leinster have a really, really tough game against Toulon in the Heineken Cup quarter final. That you would have to say, without Sean O'Brien, it's a tough one to to win. Uh, Ireland haven't won in or have won once in Paris in 42 years. I mean, this, the the last season for Brian Driscoll could have been a little bit of a damn squib, but we just made sure that last Saturday we gave him the the goodbye that he deserved. Now, I just really hope that we may have seen this in the past that you know Driscoll got this huge big send off so as a result of that you know when uh, Robbie Keane retires or when Paul O'Connell retires we might feel like honour bad, oh come on we'll get the old 40 foot you know batter out you know, we'll just draw Robbie Keane over Bride O'Driscoll on that thing and maybe change the sponsors at the top there as well uh, but the, f- the fact is, he actually does hold a very special yeah, place. Yeah, of course. I thought the so. crowd
4: were going to get bored after. Uh, when he went off, there was a standing ovation. It was a lovely moment. Everybody up for it. Then the first time it panned to him on the sideline, he panned three or four times, I guess, to him, the sideline, the camera. The first time, everybody going crazy again. I thought, oh, that's nice. It's almost it's sort of a novelty thing. Mm. We, we saw him again after. But there were, it seemed to get louder and louder each time it went back to him to the point that he did seem to start getting a little bit, Freaked out by it. There was. One, I'm sorry. I'll use the word embarrassed as opposed to yeah, freaked out. But I, <laughs> there was Stop a when, me, when
0: Johnny Sexton was beside him and Sexton kind of puts his hand over his mouth and oh, starts yeah. whispering something to Brian Driscoll. And I can only presume that it was something extremely insulting, uh, along the lines of "You're really milking this, Driscoll."
2: <laughs> yeah, but he's got to. I think he's he understands that it's it's uh, also part of his role to play the hero for the people. Mm. You know, the people turn their lonely eyes to him, and you know, what's he going to do? Just sidle off the stage. Going, you know, this is really cringeworthy. <laughs> yeah, that would <laughs> your be pa- your pathetic adulation is really <laughs> embarrassing me. No, I mean it wouldn't be it wouldn't be hey, right for him to do that. You know, you
0: don't clap the postman for delivered letters, do you? No, like,
2: che- go home. Yeah, now out, you know, Sadie in the crook of the arm waves to all the stands. That's what that's what the people want, you know. And 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 that was giver- a, it was a day for giving the people what they want. Carry
4: their first win of the season yesterday. They wallops to Rome but we want to talk more specifically about their manager, Eamon Fitzmaurice. Keith Duggan is going to be chatting to us. He had a really good piece over the weekend
0: when uh, he went down to Dingle to yeah. school. Yeah, and uh, you've got a sense really of uh, the man quite apart from being the Kerry football manager, which I, I would think is about as all encompassing as a GA managerial job gets. And you, you've got a real sense of, here's a guy who... Has exactly the right temperament you need to be Kerry manager, maybe particularly at this point where they've uh, lost a lot of players. They're bringing on enough young players with enough ability to suggest that they could actually do pretty well this year. And certainly that was backed up by their performance yesterday. And in particular, it, James O'Donoghue is looking like more and more like one of the like really, really top players mm. in Gaelic football. And, you know, we always say uh, this about Kerry, and it, it's nearly annoying to hear that you know they don't have any under, underage success, but they'll get footballers, you know. And you know, don't they've got a really, really good footballer now. All of
4: a sudden, first up though, it's rugby with two of the Irish Times Six Nations team. Matt Williams joins us from Sydney, and Jerry Thornley is in studio. Jerry, thanks so much for popping in.
5: Always a pleasure. Morning.
4: You interviewed and met Brian O'Driscoll at mm. his home recently. <laughs> Did you get? Was was he expecting what he got there against Italy in terms of a reception on Saturday?
5: I wouldn't say he. Tried to think about it too much. In fact, quite the opposite, knowing him. The way he was talking about it, he was... Uh, so I'd say probably was a little bit surprised. I mean, probably wasn't part of the plan that he was going to come off just after an hour as well and get a reception like he got. It was kind of cool, though, wasn't it? In the way that for just around that hour, Mark come with the hour and all that, it just became the Brian O'Driscoll day. You know, there was that astonishing left-handed offload for the try... Um, there was the round of applause when he got up from being injured and then there was the ovation when he left the pitch. It was just, uh, yeah, I don't know. I would say it probably did take him back a little bit, but he still seemed pretty cool about it all, didn't he? he seemed like one of the cooler people in the stadium. Yeah, it was
4: only really in the post-match interview that he started showing him yes. a little bit of emotion. Yeah. Maybe yeah. at once, about the third or fourth time, the camera panned back to him mm. on, the, on the sideline mm. when he was off the pitch. He started feeling it a little bit, maybe, but it's hard to know what's going on inside his head. But did it feel to you more like, less like a rugby game, more like some sort of... Carnival. Carnation or yeah, carnival, carnival carnation. or something like
5: that Yeah, for those particular moments it did. And it sure as hell helped that the game was done and dusted by then. And I think actually the two great distractions of the day, one was O'Brien Driscoll's last ever home game, the other was this search for points to keep England at arm's length in the in the event of it going to points difference. And um I think O'Driscoll's last game gave the whole occasion an energy and a vibe and an atmosphere that it might otherwise have not, and the team played off it. And then also I thought that it was really impressive, was the way that obviously Joe Schmidt had primed the bench. Look, you're all coming on a little earlier than normal and you've got to finish this job off for us. And they did. You know, Every one of them contributed handsomely and it was fitting that the last 19 points came from players who had been brought on in the last 20 minutes. So in that sense, they, they needed distraction applied. One was turned into a positive and despite a bit of an interlude around the time the replacements, they got it back on track and finished the game off and that extra 19 points could be very vital.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people are, you know, it's nearly in our nature to be cynical about, about things. You know, mm-hmm. one of the things that really struck me over the weekend was that no one was cynical about O'Driscoll. No one really said, oh, you know, you know, we should be keeping our, you know, well, people did say that we should be keeping an eye on Paris and all the rest, but at the same time, it wasn't said in the sort of way that, you know, that this was any sort of a distraction or it was in any way, you know, taking from the team that, it, that, uh, that, this near obsession with one man in the run-up to a very important Six Nations game was harmful in any way. No one was cynical about it. Although I did
4: hear some people say that it was a bit much, you know, but I don't know what they mean by that.
0: Whether you're supposed to tone down the
5: cheering for what you're supposed to do. Or maybe not have the camera on him so many times. I don't know. I mean, I don't really see how it could have been toned down much. Perhaps the banner was a bit over the top on the pitch. <laughs> the
4: banner was a little bit. I didn't know what they were doing. I
0: saw
5: someone saying that only Brian O'Driscoll could photo bomb himself.
0: Yeah, yeah. it was yeah. incredible. Uh, yeah. I was
4: wondering when the banner was going to. It seemed to be edging close, ominously close to him. It was going to yes. develop him. At develop, some stage. Yeah. Matt Williams, you've been uh, patiently listening to us there. I, I know the Six Nations is on a crazy hours there in Australia, but uh, is there any feedback to to the occasion and to Brian O'Driscoll?
6: Um, mate, Australia is. Um I think the the uh, literal translation of the antipodes is on the other, is the other side of the world, and uh, regrettably, uh, Owen Six Nations rugby doesn't uh, rate a mention over here these days, which is is just quite mind boggling compared to what it used to be. No, it didn't. It didn't get anything. Obviously, it got a bit in the. Irish community, and particularly because uh, Denny Hickey's on holidays out here, so I, I had uh, dinner with him at my house with Keith Lewis the other night. So we were talking about it, but I it was just not registered anywhere else. And as far as uh, Australian sport goes, It's the first weekend of the NRL, but uh, look, I, I who cares? You know, that's that's Australia, and that's that's uh, the ignorance. And and it's, look, rugby's a minor sport here, as I've often say to you, and and that's another reason for it. But uh, the only thing I'd say, guys, is. Um, he, he's the, he is the biggest personality in the sport in Ireland. He's close to one of the biggest personalities in Ireland. And more than anyone else, Brian O'Driscoll has put rugby where it is today. When I got to uh, Ireland in 99, rugby was nothing. You know, Jerry, Jerry would, would – old blokes like us Jerry, You know, when Brian first played, we played in front of 1,500 people at Donnybrook. A big crowd was 3,500. You know, uh, you, you don't want to forget how far rugby's come. And a lot of that is on the back of having a superstar. And Brian was that superstar. And not only was he a superstar, he's done it. Brian's first game for uh, for Ireland, my son was four. Um, and he was at the game at the Aviv the other night and he's 19. Mm-hmm. That's what Brian O'Driscoll's done over that period. And he's, he's been the best player in Ireland, one of the best players in the world over that period. And you go to a game now at uh, Leinster or... or uh, uh, even the Aviva, but especially the Leinster games. You sit up in the crowd. Th- these aren't rugby people in the true sense of the word of people that played the game themselves did that. They're fans, and they're fans because these guys are superstars, and the number one guy is uh, is Brian. Jerry, and that's why it was like it was the other day.
4: Yeah, was his performance a nice reminder, Jerry, that he hasn't lost his attacking edge? And I asked that because... There seems to, it seems to be written so often now, and over the last maybe three or four years, that he's lost that yard of pace, mm-hmm. which seems to sometimes equate in people's minds to the idea that he can't attack anymore. Yeah,
5: which is rubbish. And he, and, actually, and he
4: reminded us of that maybe at the weekend that he still he's not just there to make yeah, tackles.
5: I I actually thought he was Ireland's best attacker in Twickenham as well. I didn't. I thought. Of, I thought some of the ratings of his performance was curious to say the least. Um, and I went back over it and, re, and it confirmed as much. He took Burrell on the outside straight from the start. Um, got Ireland over the gain line. Another time he went through about three or four, bounced about three players. He had carried hard. There was a few tricks in his armoury in a game of inches, almost where like line breaks were like hen's teeth. And the two full backs were responsible for the two that led to the tries. O'Driscoll was probably the most, the best attacking player on the pitch. Certainly Ireland's best attacking player, second highest carrier and most effective. So that I mean he still got his box of tricks. I don't know where Ar- Ireland's offloading game is going to go when he retires because. He's pretty much been Ireland's offloading game by himself yeah. for the last few years, um, and yeah, he rose the occasion and he I mean two tries, scoring passes. Even that little loop that Sexton did with him, the soft hands he shows there, I'd say he executes that loop with Sexton better than anybody. On another day, Sexton probably would have got man of the match. Let's be fair about it; he was, he was astonishingly good. Um, and of course, like the, the one-handed left-handed offload out and into the path of Rob Carney, not even going forward, going backwards, like not making the forward pass and making it, putting it into his path that led to the Johnny Sexton second drive was just astonishing. And yeah, I mean we will miss his offloading game, we'll miss his creativity. He's just a very special player. I mean, I agree with Matt entirely. For me, his best legacy aside I hope really hope for his sake, I think we all do that he gets a second Six Nations title because frankly, one Six Nations out of 15 years for the generation of players we have is a is a very poor return. And all but I just endorse what Matt said. Whenever I went to the Southern Hemisphere, and I went particularly to Australia, or yeah, even even the even the All Blacks in South Africa as well, most of their players, when we interviewed them and we trying to pro- probe and find out what kind of play- interest they had, or what, what kind of th- strengths and weaknesses they thought Ireland may have, the only player they could ever mention was Brian O'Driscoll. I doubt any of them even knew the name of another player, mm. but they all knew Brian O'Driscoll. Mm-hmm. And I agree with Matt. I think that his best legacy would be that he dragged Ireland kicking and screaming out of the amateur era into the professional era and made us contenders more than any other individual in Ireland. I think that hat trick in Paris, that try for the Lions, uh, in Briz. And from that, that point on, he just gave Ireland a belief that here we have, like Matt said, we've got a we've got a world superstar who's as good as anything else around. And I think I think other players just responded to that. Yeah, there is a huge pressure on this France
4: game now, I guess, Matt, just to not just for Brian O'Driscoll, for all the players. It's it's so rare that we actually win the six nations titles. Can I put it to you that we're actually red hot favorites going into next weekend. We've got the more impressive uh, form line in almost every fixture we're playing for a coach we believe in Matt France are missing their leaders and the only thing that can do for us is our old fatalism about going to Paris
6: Um, I, I, I don't know about Red Hot I don't know, look I, I think Ireland can definitely win this there's no two ways about it we can win it there's no two ways about it but uh you know, the the record of, of foreign teams, especially in the Six Nations in Paris, is exceptionally poor. Not just Ireland, but you go through them all, you know, it is a really tough place to go and win for every team. So, and if, and if we look at the form over this tournament, England lost there and Ireland just lost away. The home uh, advantage is very, very strong on this tournament. And, uh, look, I, I think Ireland can win, but I, I think it's still going to be exceptionally tough. I don't think France are anywhere near as good as they used to be, uh, and I don't think this particular French side is gelling or moving well in any in any way. So they're exceptionally vulnerable, but I still think it's going to be a, a real battle. And if France won, I would not be surprised. I, I, I think it, I would come the other way, that Ireland, this is the best opportunities Ireland had for many, many years to win in Paris. But it will still have to be uh, against the odds to win there, in my opinion.
4: If we were to lose this, though, Jerry, then the fatalism might be somewhat justified because it looks to me like we haven't had much of a better chance. Not, not so much where we're at, we're consistent, we look reasonably good, but even more so where France have been. If we can't pull it out of the bag this time, when are we going to beat France and Paris again?
5: Yeah, I hear where you're coming from, um, Ireland of a title that's like realistically come kick-off, France probably won't be shooting for the title in the presumption that England win well in Rome they're going to be too far point back in points difference for them to win the title they look they look a shambles there's no discernible strategy there's no attacking shape to their game at all uh, their line was a joke on Saturday um, their work rate off the ball is practically non-existent you wonder what they do in Marcosy to be quite honest and yet you know it's quite possible that Sarzuski will come back in at hooker and that'll solve their lineup problems. Pickham will come back in at number eight. Um, thankfully, Philippe Santandre has not brought in Morgan Parrott, um or Palisson from uh, Montpellier who are both better scrum halves than the two they have there. He could bring Atales in to start at ten and um, that's the word which would be a disappointment because you'd like to see Palisane mm-hmm. continue because he's just not ready for Test Match Rugby yet. Mm-hmm. His first inch is to run across the pitch, turn sideways, he's too deep, he doesn't have a great kicking game. Um, And yet, you put all that together and you would have said that England had a great chance of going over to Paris and should have won. England have a really well-coached, well-drilled team. Arguably a stronger even pack than Ireland. Certainly every bit as strong. And dominated the game for the guts of 40, 50 minutes. And yet, we're still beaten by the kind of try that only the French can conjure. It's still the try of the tournament. In the circumstances of the match, when they were facing defeat, staring at the barrel of defeat. And they came up with that try going wide right, going left. Even with mistakes... And the way Sarzuski fixed the last te- defend and the way F- Fiku scored, it was just a sensational score, and that's what they're capable of. And Since
4: then though, and that that was a kind of victory, even when they achieved that victory, there were a lot of suggestions that this isn't a great re- France. team. Yeah. That's they were so, the so lucky win, Even the reaction, say, to <coughs> winning against Scotland, I'm not sure how I want them to react necessarily, but they looked really happy. Yes, they did. Uh, which might suggest that they're actually that they there is a spirit about them. Which is it's been said yeah. there isn't, but actually, they're just kind of inept at the moment for, for what compared to what they should be. At. Yeah,
5: but they still got great players, don't they? I mean, look at Uj, Medard, Doulin, uh, Bonneval, per any three from that back four, and it's as good as any other back three in the tournament. They can counter attack from anywhere, um, they do have that off the cuff threat, and you just can never tell with France. I mean, like, they got to a World Cup final with an even worse team than this, who are even. Who were falling apart of the seams and didn't believe in their coach at all, and they still got to a World Cup final. Yeah, you know they're just, and they are a bogey side for Ireland. Let's be the Ireland's record against them is atrocious. One win in the last fourteen clashes, I think. Like, and then there's the record in Paris, You're
4: puncturing all the optimism I came in here today I, with. Well, their, you've, you've already won me over. Ruben. No, Don't, I'm just yeah. saying
5: that yes, Ireland <laughs> have a great chance. Ireland are a better coach team. Ireland are a better team at the moment. But you know, there's a, it's a one-off game in Paris, which is a very difficult place, as Matt Williams says, to win. And look at the bookies. They call it a scratch game. 10-11 to 11 both sides, 10-11 to 11 Ireland and 10-11 to 11 England to win the title. They can't call it. Matt, we talked about offloading there and Brian O'Driscoll's ability in that
4: facet of the game. We were talking to Shane Horgan and Bernard Jackman last week and they both expected to see a few more strings to Ireland's bow attacking-wise in the game against Italy. Did we see that? And if we did... Can we take that as a really positive sign? Or was the Italy team selection performance m- maybe too poor to make any big judgments from that game?
6: No, I actually, um, it, sa- it sounds funny. Um, I, 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 the game was overnight and I didn't stay up. I, I recorded it. But I couldn't wait to see the score, so I read the score and then watched the game. And uh, knowing that, it, that they got belted, I thought Italy played really quite well, especially the first 50 minutes. Um I thought Ireland were fantastic. I thought it's typical Joe Schmidt rugby. It's, it's low risk, but it's very positive. It's upbeat. It's up pace. Um, I know I thought Owen Redden had an exceptional uh, impact on the game when he came on. And don't ask me who they should pick for Paris. I'll leave that up to Joe. He knows better than me. But I thought Ireland played in a manner, more, more importantly than, than what they did against Italy, I suppose, Owen, the point is I think that style of play will work against France. Mm. You can't rope a dope in Paris. England tried to rope it up. They just went one out, one out. As Jerry's just said, they dominated. I think at one stage there, at about the 60-minute mark, they had like 65% of possession, and they still lost mm. because they were trying to play conservative. You, you've got to be as as cool and as groovy and as, and as outrageous as the French. You've got to play that sort of rugby. And I thought uh, Ireland played really positive attacking rugby. You know, Robbie Carney looked like a, a different player the way he played the other day. Um, the boys carrying the ball, I thought it was really positive um, style and I hope they take it forward. And I I thought the Italians, and even up until the 20-minute mark, and I agree completely with Jerry, when it um, shows you what I know, when the players started changing, I thought, Jay, you need more points, but what faith he had in his bench to give him that points and that bench Knocked Italy over, and Italy weren 't ready for that because they just don 't have a bench like mm. like we have, and the, certainly if they do we 're not seeing it but but also the last part of that is they don 't have smart players and and just the one point a last point on o 'driiscoll that th- that tells you how smart they are playing at one point, Kean Hooley was down injured as the lead up to uh, the Andrew Trimble try in the first half. Go back and watch Dricky. he runs at the medicos he runs at the doctor's treating. Keen Hurley on the ground. He runs to their shoulder on the inside, comes back and it takes the Italy defenders out and he pops over the top. That's how smart that guy is and that's how smart Ireland are playing. But I still don't know if they're going to win.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, you shared the optimism about the about the performance. Am I giving Italy too little credit for Yeah, the... they made
5: over 200 tackles. Yeah. You know, they made over 200 tackles and in actual fact, they showed a willingness to counter and run Ireland, run the ball back at Ireland off turnovers like they did when they beat the French at the start of last season's championship. And they deserved their try and they could have got one or two more. I think uh, Ian Henderson probably saved another try at one point. McLean's playing very good rugby. O'Kera gives them more of an attacking edge than Tommaso Wallen, who a bit like Pliesson isn't really ready for test match rugby yet. I mean, that's one of the great things that Ireland have over everybody else at the moment. There is no other decent out-half apart from Flood in the tournament. Um, at, at real cutting edge test match level and he, in fairness he had a very good game on Sunday and he's getting better and their investment in flood is paying off now for but Johnny Sexton is by some distance the best out half in the Northern Hemisphere that's why Racing Metro played the big bucks that's why there's these took a war over him and he showed his qualities in, in spades at the weekend might have had the best game at Twickenham for a variety of reasons but um, he he gives you great hope Sexton, prime, well fit I mean I don't know if it's such a great squad Ireland I think they're very thin in midfield They're thin in a few areas, but as as things stand, with all their key men firing, and they are pretty much, apart from Sean O'Brien this season, they're all firing, they should win. They are a better team than France, but it's just the vagaries of a one-off match in Paris. The depth issue is interesting because,
4: uh, as you both said, Joe Schmidt used the bench really well Mm. and they made a big impact. When you look at the names there, they're not exactly titans of European rugby in some cases they're not even starters with Leinster large. Mostly Leinster reservists if we, we, Leinster so, were at full strength yeah, yeah. It seems incredible that you can get the that the bench can be seen as a weapon for Ireland when you've got their, in general fairly callow international players
5: Yes so this is why you get a more settled style this is why you get a more settled team a settled squad and a settled brand of rugby and that the, the replacements bench can make such a seamless impact you've got to say that this is a very classic illustration of very good coaching And what they're doing out in the carton house, by comparison to what is happening in Marcosy with the French, because they're just chopping change all the time. They try a six foot eight lock in the back row, which they probably had not looked at in training until that week. I mean, all these factors should apply. It certainly gives Ireland a great chance, yeah, Mm. that, 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 that there will be this comparatively seamless use of the bench by comparison to what the French will do.
4: Matt, are you worried about the pace of the French team compared to ours? We play smart rugby. We play, it seems, quite good attacking rugby this season, but... We don't really have flyers. Even on the wings, uh, Dave Carney and Trimble aren't exactly top end in terms of their, their pace. W- is that something that would concern you, or are we smart enough that we have found ways to a- attack and defend without having a bunch of flyers out there?
6: Yeah, I think I, I, think, we've, I think both your, both your, your questions uh, have, have validity. We're not, we're not top end compared to the French. And the, the, the problem is, as Jerry's already uh, related to, it's like like if you if you give the analogy of a, a boxing match where we're box away and we're winning on points and winning on points and they throw three punches and all of a sudden we're on our bum and we're out of the game. And that's really what they did against France against England, sorry, they, they scored a try in the first few seconds. A beautiful, uh, uh, Plisson's first touch in international rugby was a grubber kick through and UJ scored a try and it was a gorgeous try. Then they scored a beauty from halfway a minute before halftime and then the try of the tournament as Jerry said to win the game. Apart from that they didn't do much else. Uh, there was a couple of Neangelo some beautiful breaks but they didn't finish them off. So it, that's what they can do. They can just come out with the pace and the brilliance of the individuals and do three things that on a stopwatch only, it might only take 45 seconds to 50 seconds in an 80-minute game and still win it. Um, but but I, I think a couple of things are going to occur. Um, number, number one, I think Ireland will play very, very well away from home. I think they've done a good job. Joe's done a good job. and They're getting better each week with Joe. The bench is playing well because Joe has faith in them and he believes they understand what he's trying to do. That's why he's picked them. He hasn't picked them necessarily because they're the next best players but because he, he has faith in them and they, bl- they love Joe and have faith in his system and understand it. So that's a really important thing. So Ireland know what they're doing. But I also believe the French, you'll get a reaction from the French. They are copying it from every angle in the neck at home, and so is Philippe Saint-André. They are getting it. If you go to uh, uh, Midi-Olympic or uh, keep you know keep the, the the sports newspapers over there, especially Midi-Olympic, which is a rugby paper, people aren't happy with the style and the way they're going. And when they go to Paris and they get that, you get a reaction. Yeah. What does it mean? I think it's going to be a belter of a game. I think it's going to be an absolute fabulous game. It's going to build up. Tricky's last game, whoever wins it's going to win the tournament. We, we can win it. You know England yeah that they, they should just win in Rome, but that's still you know that, that's still a banana skin for them because all the pressures off England off uh, off uh, Italy there's no, there's no pressure Last time that happened was the last round last year and they beat France so so there's, there's still a lot to be played for but it, what a beautiful way to finish the Six Nations that we're sitting here on on the, the Monday the Monday before the last round saying well, we don't know who's going to win we don't know Ireland could win they got it that's great for the tournament because too often. At this point, it's been all over Red Rover and it makes it boring. And this is just exceptional for everyone involved.
4: Jerry, we talked before. It is very exciting. Uh, we talk, and we're mm-hmm. smiling here listening to Matt's mm-hmm. description of uh, the anticipation this week. We talked before the tournament about how Ireland would react if and when they lost a game. And mm-hmm. the idea of an almost mythical Grand Slam mm-hmm. was out the window. Uh, we talked after the in game about how they would react. So far, they've reacted well. But more importantly, going into this last game, Would a Six Nations title, given everything that goes into this last game, feel as big as a Grand Slam, do you think, uh, for the country, for people supporting the team, particularly with it being O'Driscoll's last game, Uh, uh, with it being a win in Paris to to clinch it?
5: I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but the feeling involved Absolutely. I mean, I think, put it this way, if Ireland win in Paris and are crowned Six Nations title champions, they would have deserved it. Yeah, sure, the critics might say, oh, they got three home games and they ran up a lot of points, but you have to run up a lot of points at home games. And they were, they had two of the other top four away from home. So it was a tougher itinerary. Ireland haven't won in London and Paris in the same year since 1972. It would be hard for any team to try and do that. So I think if they win on Saturday, they will be deserved champions. And I, I do feel like it was always going to be tough to win a Grand Slam this year because of the London and Paris. There was always possibility they'd lose one. To win it, I think, because of the O'Driscoll factor. I think even he said before the start of the tournament, if he was offered another triple crown now, he wouldn't take it. So although Ireland lost in Twickenham, and didn't and missed out on a trip of crown. This is the bigger prize to mm. be Six Nations champions. And okay, while the Grand Slam is very mythical, we've also got to realize that Ireland. I think have only ever won ten or maybe eleven titles in their history. I think we're the lowest on the ladder. And there's been one title since 1985. So it's about time there was another one. And it's certainly fitting that the likes of Paul O'Connell, Gordon Darcy, Brian O'Driscoll would would have and Rob kind of others would have a second title. You know, they should have. They, there should have been a second Six Nations title. You sometimes get uh, criticised referring to this Irish generation as a golden generation. For me, it, it, I think it, it merits the description relative to what went before. Um, whether what comes in the future, only time will tell. But I think it has been a golden generation. It's proven at a provincial level with Heineken Cups. It just needs that second Six Nations title to top it off. And I, You look at it Wales last year when they won the Six Nations title when they beat England in the final game, because there's a proper sense of climax to it as well. Mm-hmm. I think that will that ensures that it will be celebrated as if almost it was a Grand Slam. If Ireland already had the title and were going for Slam on Saturday and lost and missed out, I think would um, still win the title. There wouldn't be anything like the same celebration. It would be, it would be kind of quite a, an anti But this, as you say, because it's Paris no better place to win it than in Paris in the Stade de France. Great, we're all feeling pretty excited about it then. Any
4: changes? M- Matt said he's going to pass that one over to you earlier on, Jerry. whether, Cheers, when Matt. Redden, um, Redden, whether Redden comes
5: in for... Uh, that's the only... Well, him well him Peter Armani it, will come back, presumably. Sure, yeah, yeah. And I was a little bit surprised that Redden didn't start against Italy. I thought... I always felt that Joe Schmidt was going to go for tries, although he was never going to say so publicly. That was the hidden agenda all week in the build-up to the Italian game. A very, very high-tempo game. Run the legs off the Italians and maybe reap the reward in the last 20 and cue the bench. And it worked out, I'd say, pretty much as Joe Schmidt planned. But with the enforced early introduction of Redden, who suits that kind of high-tempo home game that he's always favoured Joe Schmidt when he picked Redden for home match in the United Cup. And I thought he might go for Redden that. Now he's got a little bit of a demo. I personally think he might well go with Conor Murray. You need that physicality, that brilliant defending that he does as well as everything else. So I, and then have Redden to inject tempo off the bench. So I would say O'Mahony oh, back might be the only change.
4: Okay, guys, it should be a fun week. And Matt, we'll know if, if Brian O'Driscoll runs directly at the doctors that Ireland have their game face uh, game face on next Saturday. Listen, thanks very much for talking to us.
6: Pleasure, mate. You have to remember he's been coached by a lot of a tra- Australians. Yeah. <laughs> he knows he had a We taught him something. Get more from Cheltenham 2014. Download
3: the SkyBet app and join today for your easy-to-claim sign up offer and daily festival promotions. SkyBet, proud sponsors of the SkyBet Supreme Novices Hurdle. 18plusgamblerware.ie Dude, are you, like, sick of getting ragdolled and want to get shacked instead? Are you a surfer who would like to improve your surfing skills? Then get with the pros, bro. Vacay at Surfholidays.com. Then sign up for the Intermediate Boot Camp Week in Portugal. With SurfHolidays.com. Bitchy in waves. Seven days of, like, totally awesome. Professional instructors. Advanced breaks. Video analysis. It's gnarly, dude. It's quite good, actually. SurfHolidays.com. Intermediate boot camp week. Era Sarah Portugal. May 10th to 17th. Book now. And for more surf specials, see SurfHolidays.com.
4: It did actually occur to me that the play should really be moving away from the injured player. I hadn't thought of it until Matt says it, that maybe this was quite a
0: clever ploy to use the injured man as a screen. Yeah, I I, uh, saw this on... the Deadspin website that we've mentioned quite a number of times on the show, uh, an American mm-hmm. sort of uh, alternative sports website, they actually picked up on this and they, they were talking about <laughs> really? how uh, Brian Odriscoll Ireland's you know superhero uh, sports uh, personality, Ireland's rugby
2: Iron Man, yeah, I, yeah that the New York Times that was called? the New
0: York Times, yeah, but Deadspin had this and I was thinking what, what part of the day did they have thinking it would be you know, a goodbye for Brian Driscoll and why the hell would American fans care particularly about this sort of goodbye that we're giving to Brian Driscoll. And it was, uh, yeah, Irish rugby player Brian Driscoll uses medics as an uh, awesome screen to set up a scoring pass for uh, Andrew Trimble. I was like, yeah, that is actually a pretty smart play by Driscoll there. I mean, people are hardly going to go flying into tackles over the heads of experienced medical personnel. I mean, they don't even do that in the, in the theatre of war. So why would you why would you try and do that in a in a yeah, rugby game? I
2: don't know. They, is it really good practice though in a the theater of war to use medics at human shields? Is that considered to be? Is, it, is there something about that in the Geneva Convention?
0: <laughs> well, listen, I'm 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 not a Geneva Convention expert. What well, all I'm saying is. You know, there is safe passage guaranteed for yeah, medical
2: personnel. I, I don't know. So just, you know, a lot of stuff happening in a, in a sportsman's brain in a small amount of time. You know, he, he's calculating the angles, he's he's looking at the numbers, he's noted the position of the medics, and he's taking into account the uh, immaculate good sportsmanship of Italian teams mm. uh, down the years, and all those things added <laughs> together equals. Uh, I know what I'm going to do next. Maybe Brian Driscoll's greatest moment
4: in a green shirt. Just to go back to. I'm just wondering did I hear this right did Matt Williams say that we need to play cool groovy outrageous rugby <laughs> against I, I, I think believe, he did I believe so that's the way to win it
0: yeah t- groovy rugby all the way groovy rugby
2: sounds like gorgeous George or something <laughs> yeah, yeah. groovy <laughs> is another word I've, I've
0: just realised that really accentuates my West of Ireland accent
2: groovy <laughs> yeah
0: no we should I should never say that ever coming again coming up in second Captain's football
3: that's <laughs> yeah <laughs> They have asked for that, really. Yeah, you can
2: laugh. I am to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that,
1: I want to be like me. You well,
2: don't know what you're talking about. What well, yeah. did you know? That i just like nice stay
1: alive for oh, six, I'd, six say eight, okay. later. Later. I'd say it to you, guys. I'll say it
2: to oh, you now. I will down one field two and we'll
3: see them.
1: moment. What right? you're doing down
2: here, you show me, man. Well, it was a big uh, weekend of f- football there on, and I think that the highlight for me was definitely the Tottenham or the Chelsea-Tottenham match and uh, subsequent events uh, where Tim Sherwood decided to lay down some home truths for pretty much everybody else who works for Tottenham <laughs> and uh, put them in their place. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that and uh, we're going to talk a bit also about some of the big Champions League matches that are coming up this uh, week. Uh, Arsenal away to Bayern who have been... Speaking already today, getting their press duties out of the way very early. Uh, Tony Kroos has been uh, has been uh, giving all kinds of sending all kinds of mixed messages out about his future. For uh, now, I'm
0: a Bayern Munich pair. Yeah. Of course, it would be a dream to play in the English Premier League. Flattering.
2: Of course, it would be a dream, you know, even to play for a team outside the Champions League. He said, I would consider that. If the decision is made, no decision has so yet been made. Good I would news for Everton or, or, or West Ham or whoever
0: he's he's tried to trying to impress.
4: Kerry had their first win of the league season yesterday, hammering Tyrone in Killarney. Keith Duggan had an interview in the Irish Times on Saturday with their manager, Eamon Fitzmaurice, who's an interesting character. And we're going to chat to Keith a bit about him now and how he found him in a what some people are calling a transitional phase for Kerry but it doesn't really exist I don't think they maybe feel they left an all Ireland behind them last year but they did have the injury to Cooper since then Keith and obviously retirements over, over the likes of Galvin and Tomas Shea and these guys over the course of the winter and spring and early defeats in the league but you met him this week and I think it seems as though the one man not panicking is the manager
3: Yeah exactly yeah um, I met him on the on um the just a Thursday before the game, and he was uh he was in good form i mean he wasn't disguising the fact that um you know he was really hoping that uh, that they'd put up a good performance against Tyrone and, and get the win and they you know they they were keen to get a win but i think in comparison to this time last year when they just felt they weren't really um clicking. Uh, they could see good things in each of the previous three performances, and they probably felt that they, you know, they they, they may they may have got a result in in a years out of out, out of those games. So yeah, he he was just um he was fairly even keeled about it all. Um, obviously very keen to avoid relegation, but uh, I think you know he was hopeful that they 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 get the result that they they you know they did get against uh, Tyrone and Killarney.
4: Yeah, I went into the piece half expecting uh Portrait of a stressed out, obsessive 24 hour day manager because that seems to be what a lot of particularly the younger guys uh, seem to feel that they have to be, or maybe that's just the way the personalities of a lot of these guys are uh, in Gaelic football these days. But that didn't seem to be it doesn't seem he seems to have some sort of a a work life balance,
3: yeah. I think he does. Um, I I mean, that's I mean, just on that, I think that's something that's kind of creeping into Gaelic games, anyway. this idea of. Both players and managers been constantly stressed out all mm. the time. Uh, something Brian Cody alluded to as well, not too long ago. You know that he he's he's kind of just tired hearing and reading about how uh, how hard it is for players. You know his 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 idea was that if you don't want to do it, then just go do something else. That no one's forcing you to do this. Um, I think this Morris has got you know he he, he kind of has a similar perspective. He's doing this by 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 choice. He wants to be there. He enjoys the job. And, you know, his teaching job is demanding as well. And he you know, he's able to kind of divide his time or you know, decompare his time into um in in into kind of uh, clear sections. So yeah, well he once so he he does admit there are times when you could be thinking about curry football all the time and he kinda has to force himself not to do that. And he did say last year in, in the summer months when he wasn't teaching he tended to keep a f- you know, maybe sort of too low a profile that if he went off and played golf, he did so very early in the morning or late at night when he wouldn't he may be meeting all that many people, so it does sort of affect your life in that way but um yeah he's 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 about as evenly balanced as they call, and I imagine that helps
4: yeah, you met him in his school, so you got a glimpse into that other life of his, and he's a history teacher, which I think you made the point is somewhat fitting when you're given what Kerry football is that he has a, an appreciation of history.
3: He does, yeah. He seems to really enjoy history, Um, and yeah, he he did say he brings sort of uh, some of the sort of, you know, when when they're dealing with say Irish history around the Civil War period and uh, the the years after that, he kind of brings the traditional history of Kerry football into his teaching um, in in those classes. Um, But you know, he also made the point that. Within the school, he's he's not really the Kerry manager. He's the he's the, he's a history teacher, and he's also the the school team manager. And that's that you know, he's he's important in that way to the kids there, and not as a you know not not as the Kerry football manager.
0: Uh, having looking back at the, the year last year and obviously you said that maybe he was a lot more panicked after the four the, the four league defeats in a row at the start of last year's campaign than he was about the three this year um, do you think that having run the gauntlet of all of that last year and coming out in the end with a very fine championship campaign that that has kind of led a lot more to people in Kerry generally and Fitzmaurice spe- uh, specifically uh, having a feeling that this year despite all the retirements even despite uh, Colin Cooper's injury that uh, that they are actually finding a few uh, uh, good players, and that you know Kerry will be there in the in the way that they always have been there.
3: Yeah, yeah, I'd imagine they do feel that. I think like when they think back, to, when he thinks back to last year's semi final, um, we, we didn't go into it all no, in, in, in in that greater detail, but um, you know I know he feels and they feel they they could have won that game against Dublin, and great as the game was, that wasn't much consolation to them. So. I think finishing games more strongly and being a little bit more, um, more sort of ruthless and a bit like the Kerry of old is, it, it will be a key uh, priority for them this year. But as you say, you know they did end up having a very good championship last year. Fitzmaurice um, made the point that when he played uh, for for Kerry. You know he played Division Two football, and this is in years when they were winning all irelands You know, mm-hmm. so it's not the end of the world, even if they if they do make that drop. They prefer to avoid it, uh, but if it happens, it happens. And um, yeah, they are, you know, they are finding a few new players. Um, you know, Paul Murphy's been impressing people from cornerback, and Tomas O'Shea obviously is gone as well. He's irreplaceable, but you know Peter Crowley is kind of built in the same mold as O'Shea is. And he's got that same kind of go-forward attitude. James O'Donoghue obviously seems ready to uh, sort of step into the void left by uh, left by Cooper. And it'll be interesting to see just how the attack evolves uh, this summer once Declan O'Sullivan comes back into it as well. You know, Cooper's gone now, so they're going to have to play a different way. And it's going to be interesting. You, you, you know, it, they could end up as a unit doing things that they never realized that they, you know they were able to, be, be because of Cooper's uh, Cooper's
6: absence. You
4: mentioned a uh, shared philosophy there with Brian Cody, Keith, a very different uh, age profile of the two men, and I, I guess uh, mid-30s would seem to be quite a young age, to be taking on a job as big as Kerry football manager, with the scrutiny that goes with it, with, particularly within the county, whatever about outside the county, but actually is it just a natural progression of what we've been seeing over the last number of years in terms of the age profile of most managers?
3: It is, yeah, and the, the the other thing is, I mean, you see, Ian McHard obviously was was down in Clarny yesterday, and he's, uh, I, I think, offhand, yeah, he is the longest-serving um, Gaelic football manager out there at the moment. But the other trend is for um, managers to come and go, you, you know, for maybe three, four years, uh, and, and that's it. So I kind of wonder what's going to happen afterwards when people like Ian Fitzmaurice, Jim McGuinness, um, Jason Ryan, managers of that calibre. Uh, decide that they've had enough. You know, I mean, what, where, 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 where do they go then within their sort of managerial lives? You know, there is that, there is that trend. I don't know if it's going to be if it's just cyclical or, or, or permanent. But you know, it does. It seems to take more and more energy to uh, to manage a team nowadays. I, I imagine that's part of it. It, it just the, the the hours do seem to be relentless and 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 you know, someone unforgiving.
0: Yeah, and uh, uh, the the nature of these guys, the way that they manage. Um, the sort of the holistic but also the kind of right okay football was played a certain way 20 years ago but they've nearly ignored that you know they're very forward-thinking all of these younger coaches I mean I, I kind of feel myself even that there is a bit of a generation gap developing in how people watch football you know it's a thing that I used to be able to talk about with my dad and we'd agree on you know 95% of the things that we'd be talking about you know Mick Lines is a footballer that you know he played the type of football that basically my my me and my dad could understand in the same way that maybe Mark McHugh doesn't
3: yeah yeah i think i think i think that's true um and I, you know the, the managers that you're talking about they're sort of they're learning all the time themselves they're absorbing new ideas they all seem to be very meticulous just in the way they go about um their their business just 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 highly organized people um, i suppose jim garvin is probably the uh, the ultimate example of that in terms of just his uh Attention to detail, and I think I, I remember reading a piece he did somewhere where he was talking about just his um, punctuality is just really, really important to him. You know, so there is that sort of um, kind of a kind of a sort of a military bent to to the way the whole thing is going. And then on top of that, you know, I think when managers are watching games now, they're just they're constantly just looking at the overview. They're looking at the the sort of team cohesion and the patterns and lines that the players are running, you know, as well as obviously um, the the the, the one-on-one battles.
4: Keith, listen, great to talk to you. Thanks so much. No worries. You can catch Keith's interview online with mfitzmaresirishtimes dot com. Murph, I didn't realize your dad was such a Mark McHugh hater. Yeah, what's his beef with Mark McHugh? (laughs)
0: Fifteen against fifteen on. Let the best team win. You know, six back, six forwards, two midfielders that's how god god put Gaelic football <laughs> on this earth to be played a certain way mm-hmm. and that is the way it's supposed to be played but uh, i don't know why more people don't have much more sympathy for the team making the best of themselves trying to narrow the the existing gap that will always be there between the different skill sets of different counties i mean i was at actually it's not even just my dad i mean i was at my i was at the dublin Donegal all ireland semi final in 2011 with uh, my brother, he's like seven years older than me and uh he said nothing at half time, right? I said, What do you think of this? you know and he was like I you know we'll just we'll you know we we'll, we'll talk about it at the end of the because <laughs> he was really like he was really insulted by this stuff, yeah. you know. So at the end of the game I was like, God, that was like that's one of the most interesting games I've ever been at, you know? He goes, It was a disgrace. Uh Donegal should be bad. <laughs> why they should be bad do you remember that game it was they played 13 men behind the ball so and Colin McFadden
4: even by the d- defensive standards of football it was 8-6 to Dublin it was the, eight,
0: years, was the final it score it was a
4: particularly and in fairness Jim McGuinness said afterwards "Look, we're not going to be like that next year and he was true to his word and added a lot of strings to their bow mm.
0: but they that was a partic-
4: were you fascinated by that game
0: I actually was I have to say I really was I, I couldn't believe what just, I was that's seeing that's not just a generational thing between you and your Okay, maybe Way I'm just older a weird Yeah, okay, brother. maybe
4: maybe I'm just a weird It's just a Murphy family. You're the only person I ever met who really loved that game. I do remember that.
0: Yeah, no, I I just I just thought it was uh, I just thought it was so interesting, you know. But uh, yeah, Paul still he still has like this this rage towards Dilly Gold that I've never really seen it ever before. Thanks so much for listening to the show today. We really do
4: appreciate it. We'll chat more about the rugby later on in the week. But just to reiterate, Ireland are the favourites for this game. I don't care; it's a scratch game. Jerry says according to the bookies, mm. we're a better team than France. It's a sporting. It's a sporting event. We're the better team, therefore we should win. I think. Ireland Forget will, about everything else. I think
2: Ireland will win. Yeah, yeah. I think they will. Um, think you're right. I don't know a lot about France apart from the fact that they terribly beat Ireland. They <laughs> do but, beat Ireland a lot, but every so often they lose. To
0: if you ask France what their favorite thing to do was in life, it'll probably be beating Ireland in I don't Paris know, I think they beat be- Ireland in Paris and forget immediately that the match has taken
4: place. Mm. Doesn't even They don't bat an eyelid. Ah, at they're fond of it though, all the same. They are very fond of it. Second Captains football coming up a little bit later on today. As ever, listen to this show, irishtimes.com forward slash second captains if you want to download it on your phone. Best way to get us, uh, well you can get us iTunes or if you're an Android phone, try the uh, IPP app. That's IPP. Or you can download Stitcher on either iPhone, Android whatever you want. You can download the Stitcher app, which is well worth doing. In the meantime, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Owen. Thank Thanks, Ken. Owen. Thanks, Kieran. Take
2: care. Chat later. The phone is the second time it's gone off. Oh, they never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those guys.
1: target.